All right. Um, we're here to talk about faith and uh, allowing faith to balance your life. And uh, we'll start off and give you a little bit about us, uh, Kirk and Kathy McJunkin. We've been married 22 years. We have four kids. They're 20, 18, 17, and 15. Two boys, two girls. The boys balance. are bookends. What's that? There's balance. There is balance. Exactly right. Um, one of them, the oldest, uh, is at SMU, and uh, he plays football there, hence the SMU uniform here on Mom. And uh, the next one is going to college on Tuesday up at Oklahoma State, Jenna. Um, some of you may have seen Jenna around uh, Watermark. She is uh, a little person. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we talk about part of who we are in our journey as it relates to balance. The next one will be a senior at Plano Senior High, Martha Kate. The last one, Bert, the trailer uh, that's 15, will be a sophomore at Vines High School, also in Plano. Want to add some color to those kids? Oh, they're a lot of fun. Um, it's taught us a lot about balance and our need for balance. Um, I'll go ahead and say I'm um, originally from Austin, Texas. I was raised with three brothers. So I had um, an interesting experience growing up and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, very much a tomboy growing up and uh, thought that I'd be the mother of four boys or a lot of boys, and God decided to give me two of each, which was great, um, learning a lot from our kids. And so even today, just getting this topic to talk about balance, I really feel like it's been as much, if not more, for us in just talking through it and growing through it, even today after 22 years and four, four kids. Um, we're still growing um, in the area of balance. But we are excited to share with you guys some of the things that we've done and with our family and the successes possibly and the struggles um, as well. So. Just by show of hands, um, does everybody already have kids in the room? Anybody that not have kids is planning on it that's just here to get because you're, you're one of those planners? <laughs> How many single parents do we have in here? Okay, good, good. We'll admit that we um, would probably struggle to speak from perspective, but I hope that what we can share with you is, is um, some wisdom, is, is that we get the privilege of dealing with this topic uh, in a partnership, uh, in, in, in an opportunity to serve each other, which is really critical to balance in our home, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, Anybody have more than four children? Okay, good. Four? Okay, good. So we, we're the only ones with four. We had somebody with six. In a, we had eight or nine people in the first, in the first hour. And uh, so we had someone with six and, and uh, one with four. You're going to adopt a fifth, I think. Uh, or adopt a fourth. So it's kind of good to have, uh, have somebody share those numbers with us a little bit. About us, um, as I said, grew up here in Dallas, graduated Lake Highlands, went to the University of Texas, uh, played football there. Won't be any surprise to you that being an athlete, uh, I'm a performer. That's what I like to do, not a performer so much in a theatrical sense, 
but performer in that that's how I gain my identity, is that uh, it is performing. It is trying to achieve. It is to set goals and, and, and accomplishment. It's accomplishment. And I see life through the lens of accomplishment and pretty driven in that area, not administratively gifted necessarily. Um, God's given me some leadership gifts and, and some skills that we've uh, managed over, you know, to work with over time. Uh, I do not emphasize people. Um, I don't really like people that much, but I love, I love to get things accomplished with people. And I hate to admit that, but that just helps you understand. I don't like a room full of strangers. I like a room full of with friends with a handful of strangers that can be impressed by the rest of us that are friends. And thank you for laughing. Um, but that, that's kind of that's kind of me a little bit. And, uh, and on the and, other hand, yeah, I'm not a performer. <laughs> I take the day as it comes. I was a naturally born procrastinator, not a great planner. Um, what was the last thing that you said? Oh, I love set people. me up to get in trouble. I right? love people. I love a room full yeah. of strangers, and I would love to meet every one of you if I had the time and sit down and talk to every one of you. So that's how we come together to balance one another. Yeah, I get up every morning. <clears throat> what do I need to do and get done today? Kathy gets up every morning and says, who do I need to meet today? And uh, so, what, so what we've done and what I hope to give you is... Uh, a, give you kind of our philosophy of, of marriage and, and what family looks like and some things that we picked out that you may say are ethereal or they're doctrinal or they're, these are the scriptures. This was our goal for our home. And then we're going to try to reduce that down into some practical things. And we'll do that by, get, by walking through 15 or 20 categories and letting you hear as we fly through these like a crop duster of, ha- of how we managed them and how we're dealing with them. So you get a, we want you to have a picture of our home, picture of our marriage, picture of our personalities, and then see how we've negotiated some of this. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll hit on some areas that help you understand balance. And then at the end, uh, we want to leave enough time to ask questions because we know uh, this topic is, topic is extremely broad, and each one of you are probably coming with something very personal that you want to know about. In the last time, it was two families had gymnasts that are in the situation where you live or you board someplace and you train all the time. And then how do you balance that? We had athletic kids, and so we can talk a little about that. So anyway, we'll get to the personal things as we go through, but we want to save that time so you can ask. And, uh, and, and, and please, uh, please be encouraged to ask whatever you want. If we don't have a good answer, I'll make one up. Um, it starts off with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 7. I'll read that. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you come home, when you're at home, and when you're away on a journey, when you're lying down, and when you're getting up again. We're going to say that balance begins with our perspective on family, and that gives us a good outline uh, for our home. And that is that we are going to take the principles of Scripture and build them in as we spend time with them in work, as we spend time with kids in play, and as we share life together. But first and foremost, from our perspective, is in order to do that and to be healthy, we've got to have this be dead on. So our first focus and priority 
in our home as it relates to even balance is the quality of the marriage. So Kathy and I see ourselves, what we just described for you earlier is a great combination of this, which you can take Kirk's gifts and her gifts, and if you just move them a little bit, we compete. And that's easy. That would be the tendency, and we really want is this, which is the idea that you hear at Watermark a lot, is by completing each other. So it starts with, for the home, if, that's, if we're to, to, to raise our kids and build and invest into them by living life with them, it's going to start here, believing the best gift we can give our kids is a healthy marriage. So we do that by, here are our gifts, here's how we're going to complement each other and build into that marriage. So the marriage comes before our kids and all of our activities, before career, hobbies, anything else. It's the health and maintenance of this first. Why is that important? Um, you may, I'm going to state the obvious. Hopefully, and this is a struggle for us, I can get to a place that when, when I, I can't always see the gadget, you know, the gauges on the dashboard of my life. In fact, I can get, as a performer, so tied up in what I have to accomplish at work and other places that I'm starting to slowly overheat. And, the, the, and, 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 and getting out of balance for me is a real slow drip. And the heat kind of comes up real gradual. And I get consumed by it and don't know it. So if I have a marriage where we're doing this, or I have friendships, if you don't have a marriage, and you've got someone else in your life that helps complete you, what do you think we want to happen? Is that she needs to be able to say what? You're out of balance. Yeah. Hey, you didn't handle that with the kids too well. What do you mean? Well, I don't think if you want to be the man who you say you be and be the leader that you want to be, Kirk, the way you talk to them. Now, it may surprise you, but I can occasionally intimidate my kids. Um, so, was that funny? So when, when, she, when she says that, then it's, Kirk, go clean that mess up. So the way it works is I go right back into there, sit down with a kid who may be chewing on that bottom lip with tears, and say, hey, Dad missed it. Will you forgive me? So right off the bat, you get balance right there. She does it with other friends. Hey, you know what? Tonight at dinner, you just love to hear yourself talk. You dominated the whole conversation. Yeah, but sweetie, I, I, did you hear the way they laughed? And I impressed them. Did you that knowledge I imparted? They can't buy that. You know, you know she, she's going, man, you're just, you're, you're, you know, you're out of balance. It's too much. So is it friendly and is it fun? No, but it's what we do. And it goes back the other way. It's great now that Kathy can ask me from time to time and say, hey, how to do there? And if we want to complete each other and we want oneness, which, by the way, is the goal for our marriage, and that's the gift we want to give our kids, it's got to start with us. And so before we even get to Deuteronomy 6-7, it's about, you know, maybe Ephesians 5. So, again, we believe in our home that if we're going to glorify the God in our home and the marriage is going to be the best gift to give our kids and it's going to be the tool that God uses to evangelize those around us. Uh, do we have a public-private ministry? Absolutely we want to. But we know that what is happening here is going to become a great tool for ministering kids and for balance to the outside, to those outside of our home. Amanda, that or? You're doing good. Thank you, ma'am. So it starts with the marriage, and so by priority, marriage, kids, and then others. So here's the next thing as it relates to parenting. 
Um, we think of it in four stages. Now, I know it'll shock you again, but coming from an athletic background, uh, it is natural for a coach to take, and when he wants to impart something to you, it is going to be a, let me, um, let me get you, and here's where we're going to field a ground ball. Here's the way I want your feet. Here's the way I want your hands. Here's your body weight. Here's the distribution of the weight. They're taking you through everything. They are, they are instructing you by imparting information from the coach to the individual what needs to be done. So what do we do with our kids? From the very little, we're imparting information to them about what's expected to them while they're very young, no matter what the topic. Which, by the way, what we're trying to do here is talk, and, and, and again, crop dust in, instead, of, instead of something specific, hoping that we'll give to that later. But as it relates to this, it's about an impart at an early age. Then at some point, and these are very soft gates to go through, we're looking for that opportunity when you can now become more, uh, not the coach that instructs and says, here's exactly what to do, how to do it, here's what the expect at the end. Then we begin to back off a little bit. Okay, we've shown you, now it's time for you to demonstrate, and I'm going to stay closer to you to walk you through and see how you're doing and give you a feedback on a shorter loop. Then as they get a little bit older, again, this is our perspective on parenting, then it's time to become much more of that coach that's on the sidelines that stands like this. And that's the one that's watching and very careful and knows that, there's a, that the dialogue and the respect between one another is high. And so when the kid walks off the field, it's like uh, that quarterback that has a great relationship with his coach. And I got to watch this both in college and a little bit afterwards, um, and this is important, but I got a chance to be in professional football for about two short years, short because the second one was cut really short. And um, I would watch the, 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 when I first went to that team, and he stuck out his hand, and I said, Hi, Coach Blackledge. He said, No, it's Ron. And looked at him like that, and he said, he goes, because you're at this level now, and we're going to dialogue about what we need to get done on the field, right off the bat. And you know what that did for me? It raised my, my respect. It raised everything in me. Felt, I felt honored that I could take a man in the NFL, and he could talk to me about how we're going to get things done, and that's the way it worked. So the role begins to change is that now you become that one that dialogues. You come off the field, and you say, hey, how'd I do? And now you're sharing the experience to talk to him about how to do it better. That's the third phase. The fourth one, and what we hope for, is as they grow up, and this applies to sports or academics or choir, anything they're doing, uh, character, learning scripture, ministry, whatever it is, hopefully we get to that point in our home where we can step back and do this and sit in the press box or sit in the stands and watch and then be there available for them if they ever want to say and share the experience. So it's a gradual release. And so balance for us is first begins with kids at cultivating the kind of relationship that can allow us to do that. Okay, so if we're going back to Deuteronomy and we're sharing life together, and the way we share life, we'll talk about that in a second, um, but the way we share life is how we, when we work, when we play, just maximizing our opportunity, it comes down to time. So we do it first by building into the marriage and giving them that gift, and then secondly, it's building into them, and then we build them into them over time in that kind of progression. Now, what we hope we've done, if we were building a building of, of someone's life and, and trying to get balance in our home, is if we see that principle in Scripture, we, we try to model it. That's what it looks like in our home. We want to hit those areas so that we have that dialogue going, that soil, if you will, that, it, that grows that kind of relationship. One little side note here as far as safety. Um, 
as uh, we as they get older, we tell them um, for the purpose of feedback with mom and dad that this conversation is safe. Now, safe means um, you can say whatever you want. Some there's a one writer that calls it dead man's talk. What it means is that what you say here. It's as though dead men heard it because they can't walk out with it. So we sit down on the edge of a bed at night and say, how are we doing? And whatever they say is safe, meaning dad's not going to lecture them. Dad's not going to correct them. Dad's just going to listen and try to earn that respect, kind of like the quarterback thing. We get that going on. We do that so that as they get older and we need to talk about gymnastics or contract baseball, or football in the fall and spring arena football and hockey and year-round whatever, we want them to be able to say in a safe way, my back is hurting and I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I'm sick of football. I'm sick of lacrosse. I'm tired of whatever it may be. You see how that works? Good. What else? Anything else there? Good. For me, a few years ago, after 9-11, I got some bad news as it relates to business. And this is moving into personal now because there's another principle at work here that if we don't lead ourselves well and maintain the health of ourselves individually, we're not going to be able to maintain the health of ourselves corporately and then not be able to maintain the health as a team trying to, that, that God's given the responsibility of four other young lives, we're not going to be able to build into them. So now I'm going to back up a little bit and talk about uh, me a little bit and Kathy as well, in that uh, after 9-11, um, the, the impact of that on a financial institution had them walking in my office, and we were doing really, really well. And they yanked something from me that was really important because the whole world of underwriting had changed. Uh, in about six months with World WorldCom, Enron, and then 9-11. So my business, uh, which was six, very successful at the time in a process of me buying it from other people and had all these great plans and this particular uh, bond line or surety line was pulled away. Um, I went from uh, being... Uh, uh, wealthy on just about anybody's standards, even in this country, to um, uh, $30,000 in the bank about six years later and had to shut down a business. Now, when it first got the news, um, being a performer, you sit down and you put together a plan and say, here's what i got to do to resolve that, and you start putting it together. And then you go out and you execute. So in a way, I'm getting up in this adrenaline rush every day that as a doctor once told me, uh, he said, Kirk, it's like you walk down the ramp of the Cotton Bowl to play OU, your body's responding this way. So I got up every day a little bit energized and a little bit in an adrenaline rush of what I got to get done today, even though it was kind of tragic. What problem am I going to deal with today? Slowly, as I said earlier, there's a slow boil that's starting to happen. Well, it doesn't take long before I'm forgetting people's names that Kathy would look at me and go, well, you ought to know who that is. And I would look at her, and I got to where almost insecure about going in public because I'd forget names, and she'd have to tell me. Um, she could see on me that I wasn't myself. I wasn't uh, sharp mentally. I was very forgetful. I was struggling with sleep. 
I couldn't control. My ability to manage my own anger was going away. And so I began to respond. I had two emotions, joy and anger. And um, sleep was, my mind would not rest. My body's completely exhausted. And my mind wouldn't rest. I wouldn't sleep. Um, I began to give myself permission not to feed myself spiritually. And believe that I had this great storehouse of spiritual knowledge and, and, and wealth that had come from great people building into me from the time I was, you know, 19 to, to 37 or 40, 42 years old. So it was going out faster than I'm filling it in. So my health is beginning to, to uh, um, uh, be affected by my emotion and, and mental attitude. So, what, man, you've got this maze going on that's now got a pretty unhealthy man trying to lead his home. Internally, I was giving myself permission to not lead very well. I wanted permission to be able to get mad and frustrated or to look at her and say, God, if you had to deal with all this, you'd be this way too. And I'm so focused. Oh, okay, oh, you're right, you're right. You're right, I'm, I'm not healthy anymore. I need to work on me. And you're right, sweetie, I'm angry with you. And, you know, please forgive me. And we're in this pattern of, you know, Kirk steps out of line, hurts Kathy, Kathy tells me, I ask for forgiveness, and just, you know, we're just doing this. And there's really not a repentance and a getting away from it. So I wasn't leading myself very well. Can't lead myself. I'm completely out of balance. Um, and finally, somebody finally looked at me and said, Kirk, I think you're depressed. No, I'm not. Uh, I think you are. Um, I thought depressed was hopelessness and despair, and he helped me understand that it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And I was, I was in the middle of it. So what happens is I'm not leading the kids very well. I'm getting a little more frustrated. So you can kind of get the picture that this performer is failing. And now they get to start to have image issues as it relates to I'm perceived as the captain of the Titanic. And no matter what happens, you're still a failure. And so for a performer who, who had been on teams and been in places where, where that was kind of foreign, uh, it was very hard. Um, to Give them a little more color from your perspective on that. Yeah, it was challenging um, times for all of us. But I knew that my role was really critical for Kirk to uh, not overload him with more um, criticism or struggles in the home. But at the same time, I also had to be his completer. And I didn't want to just be um, a non-voice while I could see the things that are going on you know, with him and how they're affecting him. So just really trying to um, lead myself well, for one, and um, <clears throat> encourage him and, and speak truth in love and, and talk about things that were going on without um, making him feel um, torn down or humiliated. Um, trying to be supportive when he has to come home and say um, hard things about situations at work. So just trying to be the balance there for him um, and encouraging when there's not a lot of encouraging circumstances. Um, so that was a big time in our lives where faith really had to sustain us um, because circumstances weren't all that great. Even our kids um, were aware of it and it was a great time with them because we didn't necessarily hide things from them. And so, and they were all teenagers. And yeah. Even our oldest would um, say, 
at dinner, so Job, how was your day today? So, you know, they were aware of the circumstances, but it was good and it was a good time of, of learning and leaning into um, the, the challenges of life and, and helping them see as we demonstrate, you know, our faith and where that takes us, what role in our life in the midst of unpleasant circumstances. Yeah, if we were going to do Deuteronomy 6-7, you know, at first I thought before this that that only occurs when we're sitting in duck blinds and deer blinds and playing golf or shooting shotguns or anything outdoors with boys or girls, no matter the activity. But you know what? It dawned on me that God was trying to say for balance, Kirk, you really need to share this with your kids, even this. Now, the oldest was about 12, and through his, from 12 to 17 or 18, the economic times for the family were the worst. And um, the other ones, are, we're right in the middle of it. So we're right in the middle of sports and all the activities that are going on. And, said, and God made it very clear, bring them in, and Deuteronomy 6, bring them in and share it with them. So we talked about money, talked about things, and, and began to then find balance and seeking wisdom, which takes us, you know, like to Luke 2, 252, when Christ grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man, now it was time to say, now how do we take, if you've got these four containers from, from God saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, those four containers we knew we had to erect in our home and have management in all four of those, what we're doing mentally, emotionally, physically, uh, and spiritually, and how we feed and manage those containers, and then getting it down to... Um, Seeking wisdom. So wisdom would suggest share it with them. And get good about your time. Get good about how you manage money. Make sure you don't put yourself in a situation with money that takes you away from what you got to do over here. So then scripture began to inform us and bring us and bring them into that dialogue. So remember I talked about dialogue and having safe conversations earlier. It was really practical here to say, here's where dad is and here's where we are, guys, and, and, and we're not going to wear eighty dollar cleats, they may be fifty dollar cleats and you may pay for half of them, and here's how you make that. Here's how you make that money to do that. Well, man, we just unloaded a burden that they began to share in that. So now the part of balance was that other people, you know, it's like, it's like uh, I believe Galatians says about sh about confession and sharing. For it splits the load and it halves the load. It began to half the load financially, half it emotionally, mentally to share it with our kids. Even at 13 years old, it grew them. So, go to the state fair. There's not $50 each that kid gets to spend. It was 15 and they learned how to spend 15 at the fair and not 50 So you just start to see how Deuteronomy 6 begins to invade our life, you know, in all areas and seeking wisdom and schedules, time management, money, etc. Let me turn to Kathy real quick in, in this area and let her give you... A picture of the home. Here are some things we did, and uh, we felt like this is important uh, as it related to balance and management with all that's going on. Uh, there's some things we did about I don't know eight or nine of them that in these years were real important to us to maintain the health and balance uh, going forward. Well, one thing, big Kirk was really good about being home. Um, at an appropriate time, not exactly the same time every night, but um, for the most part, um, he was really good about being home by about 6 or 6.30 and having dinner with the family. And that time was so good to, to circle up and everybody be there around the table and 
um, share in life experiences and um, just builds um, a great foundation of family time and where your kids know that they're a part of something and their role in the family matters and somebody's going to ask them at the end of the day, you know, how was your day? We'd play silly games like what was your sunshine and cloud, you know, the best part of your day and the worst part of your day. And sharing things like that that um, we may not know about if you just, you know, said hi or, or running back and forth and busy going places, but just taking the time to interact like that with your kids, whether it's at dinner or bedtime. But um, I'll say that about, about him, first of all, just that Dad was really faithful about being home. Um, it was rare that he worked late, um, and that was, that was really key for us to have family time together. Which I think, by the way, men, women, um, if God allows you to be in a situation like I was, work is a continuum, there's no end. And I just decided that two things I need to do to lead myself well. One um, was draw a line at, at when each day it was going to stop. And then I kept exercising there, so I would keep, you know, exercise. I'd block out time every day for exercise, physical exercise and then block out a time every day that I said, no matter what it is, I'm stopping. Yeah, the, the disaster can wait till tomorrow, and God, I'm going to trust you and have faith there and get home. And manage, and, and guess what? Shared it at the dinner table, but, but to be home is big, dads. Another thing we felt important was my role in the home. Um, we had four kids right away um, within five years, a little over five years. So my role at home with the kids um, was really important to us. And so we both agreed early on that, that uh, my work was in the home. I had lots to do, believe me, with four little ones and uh, all through their teenage years. And whoever thinks that the teenagers you know, are off at school and so mom can go back to work, they don't need me as much anymore, well, that is not necessarily true. I feel like my teenagers need me as much, if not more, as they did when they were little. And I so value that privilege that I've had, that we've had, to keep me at home and be there. And, you know, I've been able to do little things and part-time stuff. And and even now I um, am able to um, substitute teach in the, in the schools where our kids are. And that's been great because, again, it's time around our kids, around their, in their world and knowing their teachers, the administrators, and um, the friends, just seeing the environment that they're in, it's invaluable. But I really value the years that I've been at home for the last 22 years, and um, 20 years, our oldest is 20. Anyway, um, that's been um, a real priority to us, and I think that our kids have really benefited from that, just being there after school, being there during the day, um, involved in their schools, where they are, just has allowed me to do that and be, be available to them. And it helps, again, it, it helps just as a partnership. He's, you know, working hard outside the home. I'm taking those responsibilities. I'm embracing that role at home. And I don't see it as less than. I don't see it. I mean, I have a college degree, too. I could have a job. But I'm, I'm telling my kids just in a nonverbal way that you guys matter. I'm willing to put some of, maybe some of the things that I'd like to do on hold for a while because y'all matter. 
I value the time that I can build into y'all and spend time with y'all and disciple you guys while you're here at home. We have you for such a short time. And my, our kids are going to be gone in three years. I can have a whole nother career or you know new opportunities in three years when our kids are actually out of the house. We took time to put the kids to bed and prayer every night. That was routine. One of the two of us. Um, I did a lot early. Kathy, we'd, we'd conquer and divide. She's real good about it now. Even sits down and reads a Josh Hamilton book with one of the boys. So it's about spending time. We serve together as a family. So even in those times in ministry, you talk about balance. So if you're going to spend time and serve somewhere, you're carving out and setting things a priority that they know uh, how to relate priorities in their own lives if mom and dad are modeling that. So whether it was in ministry serving together or in son in, in an ecumenical sense, we served together as a family. And uh, talk about this one. Yeah, we just early on agreed that we wouldn't keep a scoreboard. You know, there's um, a lot of benefits in sports <laughs> for a scoreboard, but not at home so much. So when, you know, Kurt got to go do something fun or, you know, go on a hunting trip, or which he put off until the kids were older and they could go, you know, with him. Um, but I wasn't going to, or we weren't going to keep score of, well, you got to do this, so I get to go do this, or, well, I've been home all day, so now you have to put in so many hours. I mean, just keeping a scoreboard can be really detrimental to your relationship. Obviously, we want to be considerate of one another, and if, you know, he's been under a lot of stress or, you know, been busy at work or something, and I can be, you know, considerate of him and say, hey, why don't you go and do that trip or whatever. Yeah, do a hunting trip. That's great. Or he's thoughtful of me and, and, you know, coming home after I've been home all day with four preschoolers, you know. Why don't you take some time off tonight and go out with the girls? That kind of thing. We want to be thoughtful of each other and not trying to keep score and be demanding of, you know. We knew, we knew in these times, guys, it, it relates to balance, that there's going to be times when the load on me may be greater on her and vice versa. And she did carry a load in the home probably greater than I did in days when I'm not managing and leading so well. Because, again, I told you, my, my, I became so focused as I was going through a period of really painful time um, and most of the pain, I can't say self-inflicted, but it was really the pain of my identity being put to death. And, and so that allowed, that made me as a male, I started to do this with, okay, Kathy, I, I can't do that because I've got I to take care of myself and lead myself well. And let me go figure out what leading myself well looks like. Well, even that was even at the neglect of the family. So a scoreboard is one of these things that, t- that tends to go back and forth, back and forth, like a tennis match where... Where when we eliminate the scoreboard, the idea is for our home is that you, you look at roles and you do what you have to do uh, to make it work and, and not try to balance how much you know money is being spent here or there. Because in my single days, I hunted a lot, golfed a lot, uh, worked out a lot, did a lot of things that were just, you know, I worked and did this. I was single. And so we get married, I took those hobbies back um, to minimize them to a handful of times a year waiting for the days for the kids to get old enough to go with me and uh, and where, where they could enjoy that with me. And now our hobbies are really about what we can do together and share as a family. We even did road trips. Now we could afford 
at one time to fly places with four kids. Expensive, but we could afford it. We chose to drive and have 16 hours. Now, what do we you think? Man, are you guys crazy? Probably a little bit, but it was great to share that and teach them how to get along, be in proximity, and, and um, uh, the life lessons learned on road trips and other places are invaluable, just as they are laying in bed, just as they are sitting in blinds or just sitting in mowing yards or whatever it's maybe doing. It's all about time and converting these opportunities, again, Deuteronomy 6-7, to have dialogue and share life together to grow them and train them. Yeah, we also really enjoyed some family traditions. We established early on with our kids. Um, as you can tell, we're kind of a sports-minded family. So even when the kids were really little, um, we'd all pack up the car and go to a high school football game before they knew what football was, probably. Um, so that was pretty much a part of our family er, from the early days, early stages. Another thing, um, we have a Friday night pizza night and that's been going on for, gosh, years. And there's a little hole in the wall pizza place in Plano that we go to every Friday night and whoever's home knows that we're going to Mama's Pizza. And so even if they're not home, they know where we are and what we're doing on Friday night. And so it just becomes a fun thing that the kids look forward to and they know that, okay, it's Friday night, we're going to go eat pizza. But just little things like that, just uh, summer trips to, to Colorado was kind of a family tradition for many, many years. And so it's fun to build some of those, just not any big deal, but just, you know, a Friday night pizza night. For those of you that may be you know, wondering at this point, guy, you're mentioning a lot of things and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with balance. And let me, let me kind of tie some things together. Um, it does, or it does for us. And here's why. I talked a little bit earlier about setting the stage, what I'll call the soil for anything to grow. It's got to have the right soil for buildings to be built, which is the industry I'm in. It's got to be on a foundation. The foundation in our home for balance is safe dialogue okay with people if we're going to grow if we're going to grow we, we, we learn to trust if God's going to use people in our lives and Kathy's going to be my completer she's got to be able to do that and have a voice into my life my kids have a voice into my life even as early as five years old with tears running down the face dad you scared me or at 13 or 14 with tears running down their face. Um, Dad, you're just... Uh, here, uh, I remember Blake saying, you want me to talk and I'm going to tell you, then you're going to tell me what I did wrong or why I'm wrong. And what wisdom from a fifth grader. So and I had to look back at him at that point and say, Blake, this will be safe from now on. You can say anything you want and Dad's not going to give you advice. I'm not going to correct you. I'm just going to listen. Because what I want with you more than anything else is a relationship. And I'm, it's not about making you into something that I define. It's that God gifted you and made you a certain way. And if Scripture tells me to train up a child in the way he should go, it's not train up a child in the way the dad or mom thinks he should go. It's the way he or she should go. So I looked at Blake and I remember telling him, it's about me knowing your gifts and then I want to dialogue with you so that I can help you become who God made you to be. And I can't do that if, you can't, if, if we don't have a place to talk. 
If he can't be that kid that comes off the field and says, I got hurt today at school or this happened, we can't dialogue. If he's hurting physically, emotionally, or mentally in order for me to help manage balance, which as a parent we have that responsibility with our own kids, I figured out that kids have stress too at an early age. Does anybody that have kids believe that? Raise your hand. Have you all seen stress on children? Yeah. Now some of it unfortunately can be cultivated by us, by the parents. So we thought, they're going to have it hard enough as it is. Let's take that away as best we can by God's grace. And let's make sure that we're coming alongside them because I was hurt in junior high. I, I, I had some days that were painful. I had a dad that didn't handle things so well, that, it was, that, that always had an eyebrow down with a volume. And with, with uh, anything brought to my father was a correction. Dad, I'm hurting here because the kids made fun of me today because I hadn't gotten into puberty yet. You know, well, why don't you whip the hell out of them? Ah, that'll fix them. I mean, that was literally almost his response. That was what you did in the 40s. You know, that's what you did if you wanted respect. So that wasn't much help. That wasn't what I was looking for. So, again, all of this is about, when you heard us share this about the family, it's a fabric of things that give us an opportunity to spend time because we know the days are coming when a gifted athlete is going to have to choose which team to play, how much to play, what to do. A gifted singer is going to be asked, and the world is going to pull, pull, pull. And, you know, you pick your, pick your location. Kathy and I uh, were very involved in, in, the, in, in setting up and starting this church. We even had to put boundaries around starting Watermark. We had to put boundaries around role with FCA or Dallas Seminary or anywhere else that we're involved you know, in ministry. So we even had to protect our home from good things or from ministry. And in order for us to do that, we've got to have dialogue. We've got to have that safe relationship. Um, there was... Um, period of time when um, it gets back to the marriage for just a second and balance and I just have to go back through this a little bit guys and reiterate something Um, I mentioned earlier that slow boil that thing that begins to overtake you and and you don't it's usually too late before you discover it Um, I, I just You've got to be someone in your life. You know, moms and dads, someone in your life that can see and knows knows your heart, who you want to be, and can compare that against who you're becoming and who you are, and then speak that to you. Um, we made it, we know that we only have a handful of years with our kids. We had one off to college, another one we take on Tuesday, and that... You know, I've already got the man lump going, and I'm starting to chew on my bottom lip, and so I'll be crying all the way up and crying all the way back to take Jenna. I don't know if we told you, Jenna's a little person. She's got achondroplasia dwarfism. And so uh, it, it's, it's going to be a tough day, and she's 
looking at us to tell us, you know, the other night she came to bed and said, it'll be the first time um, I'll be away from you. You've always been there to protect me and take care of me. So the preparation, all of this to prepare her for balance. And when you talk about balance with somebody that, that, a, that a street curb came up to their stomach for most of her life until she grew, um, you know, for, for kids like her, the, the challenges are amazing and we're getting ready to turn her loose. So balance, you know, balance there with her and teaching her how to manage your own self from a safety standpoint, how to get into, you know, how to not be a victim, whatever the, you know, whatever the situation may be, is huge. And if you don't have, you know, I can't, if, if I don't have Kathy speaking in my life about my relationship with her, who's got a very soft spirit in some regard, uh, I, I could miss it and blow that up. And then I send that little girl who needs wisdom, counsel, and advice and needs a mom and dad that set her off with an advantage versus a handicap uh, is huge. And I don't know what it may be for your home or with kids, but, but I, I just can't help but paint enough the picture of try to see the end from the beginning and prepare for that day when you're loading them in the car to take them. And knowing that the decisions you're making today about time management and sports and your perspective of it, is it your goal or is it their goal? for the activity. Um, anybody want to talk about activities for a second? Is, that, is there anybody in here that that's a struggle with having multiple kids and you've got a gifted one in sports or a gifted one that's talented? Anybody have that issue in your home? Show of hands. No? With any activity, yes. Oh, no. oh. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Both of us did, and so I am already anticipating the struggle with imposing that or having that style or our children. Yeah. Not for sure, because we, I, I would say that I did it, and he did as well. So I'm anticipating it. Yeah. I saw um, when I went to Texas. I remember looking around, and I, I, I uh, first of all, and I say this in humility, I got to play only because other guys didn't take advantage of the opportunity they had. I was by no means the best athlete in, in my position or on the field. But what I did is try to overcome what I didn't have in other places with hard work and took advantage of what other guys wouldn't. And I remember looking around and seeing and hearing even at that level guys there because their dad wanted them there or they were they, they would admit, guys this is Division One perennial top ten team we were ranked number one twice and competed for national championship twice. And still there were guys that said, I'm here for somebody else or I'm here for because I didn't know how to say no to it. And um, I just thought, man, what a horrible tragedy. So is it related to activities in light of what I saw there? I go back to where I am now and as it relates to balance and activities. The, the, the four-step process I gave you earlier is what I want with activities with these kids. My goal is to turn it over to them and flame the fire underneath them. When I coached baseball and football, the whole goal of coaching was for me to impart to them a love for the game or a love for the activity so that their fire would fuel the thing going forward, not mine. And if ever I saw with my own kids that my goal was greater than theirs or that my desire for them to be good was better than theirs, 
I want her telling me about it, and I want the kid telling me about it, and, and I want to be sensitive enough to see it. Because I want to back off and go, where's, where's your heart? The focus, the, the target, the bullseye on our kids is not here, it's here. Our bullseye for ours is the heart. I can make them do physics. Um, by turning off TVs, iPods, cell phones, sit here and get it done. But what I really want is to flame that fire for it. Give them a vision. This is why it's important to know the speed of light. Because your wife's going to want to know one day, and you can tell her she loves it. <laughs> no. Um, it's, uh, I want that flame. I want to turn it over. I want it to get away from football. I mean, I mean sportsmen, I just want it to be theirs. I want them to own it. And guess what? When they own it, it's amazing how balance kind of comes into itself. When it's theirs and their back's hurting, they tell you. When it's theirs and they're singing and they get a nodule or something starts happening, they tell you. When it's ours, that boy needs to plow through that pain. Life's going to be painful. He needs to learn. Does that make sense? So our deal and balance there as it relates to activities is we're, we're, we're going to cultivate the game, the activity in them, and then, and then depending on how good they are and what we think the future is, we're going to dialogue with them about that, and we're going to invest the resources that, are, that only our family can afford to invest from a time and money standpoint. And that is it. We're going to trust God with the rest of it. Did we have kids do two sports at one time? Yeah. But they had, guess what? They got to pay for some of their equipment on their own. We made them share financially. We made them share uh, on all fronts. By the way, to be an athlete or have an activity or hobby in our home is a privilege. It's not a right. You may play football, baseball, basketball, sing, gymnastics, ice skating, hockey, lacrosse, pick it. It's a privilege. You're going to be... First of all, we're going to cultivate love the Lord your God first. You're going to learn to love and be in communion with man and fellowship with other people. And school is your job. And then, oh, by the way, if those things are in line, then we get to do this. That's, a, that's, that's, that's the message ours here. And when this over here becomes greater than this, because the gravity field for activity is so much easier to get greater than, than school. Oh, by the way, how about this one? Anybody dealing with popularity yet? Anybody got teenagers? No, yeah. I tell them all the day, the game is popularity in high school, guys. Just get ready for it. Ours are in public school on purpose. And uh, um, it, it's, we, we sit down talking about popularity. Popularity pulls them away. We even see the same things that you see in prima donna athletes go on in the area of Popularity and the pursuit of it and being accepted by friends and affirmed in certain communities of people, which then gets out of balance. So here's what it looks like in our home. Popularity, the pursuit of it over here, has everything to do with connectivity. And what does connectivity have to do with? Right? Anybody, anybody got this going on in their home? Anybody's daughters can, can text without looking at the screen? Amazing. Yeah. So then it becomes that, and then we got the new thing now, Facebook. Um, so can, let me ask you, can any of those things threaten balance in your home? Do you all have kids that are that age yet? 
Anybody have teenagers? Raise your hand. Anybody struggling with this at all? Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, well, in, in our, now, you know what? Now a new category has arisen for us just in five years from our oldest to our youngest. And that is managing Facebook and the cell phone. It is no longer communication tool with mom and dad to help manage logistics of having four kids. It is connectivity to a world. And you know what? We find out they're a little bit like uh, a military pilot. Everybody knows if you flew, I didn't, but I have friends that are, and I like to act like I did, but I didn't, is that you always fly ahead of your plane. If you're flying where you are, they say you're dead. Your plane's here, your mind better be out there. You know what we say in our home, what we find out is the kids at this level, find, their, their, their hands are here, but somebody else is making plans for them out there, right? If you've got one and you're there, just get ready for it, because the friends, if, if there's eight of them, online at any time or connecting. One of them's making friends that all of them can go to, and if you're popular or you're in that, you're, you're in that arena or pursuit of it, it's going to compete with your home. So we've got boundaries on that now. And now we have to fit that into the matrix of living life together and loving God, loving man, growing in wisdom, growing with favor with God and man. So it's now fitting in. New boundary. Any thoughts there? Full-time job. Managing those things. And, um, you know. Let's give them some examples of some things that may encourage you or show you how it works. A um, little bit risky, but we'll have some fun with it. It's being recorded, so they have a chance to censor it if they don't like it. Um, and under the area of building trust and having a safe relationship with your kids, uh, we had a circumstance years ago, and this is going to tie in several things that Kathy said about being involved in school and community and, and, and with your kids. And uh, for one of ours, here's the way it worked. Jenna was being making, made fun of. Every year for her in elementary growing up was new people and new faces to stare at her and try to figure out, you know, because you know, there was only one you know, little person at Plano. And uh, one particular young man who was uh, uh, oversized early in about sixth or seventh grade um, had was making fun of her. And what he was doing is ridiculing her in front of my older son. And it was beginning to get to Blake pretty good. And he got, he was starting to come home and get mad. And he was, I was starting to see it. And we started dialoguing about this. He finally told me the young man's name and what he was saying. And the guy, the guy was just way out of line. And it was, more, it was more of a testimony of how bad he's hurting and, and who he is than it was anything. But he was a bully. And so Blake came to me, and what we had is a classic bully. And uh, so, Dad, what do you think? And I said, well, you know what, son, I'm going to tell you, and I know this is controversial in the church, but I'm just going to have to trust you on this, is that uh, bullies understand one thing, and that's a butt whooping. And uh, most of them stop with one. Uh, sometimes it doesn't take that, but they understand that language. And what I knew was worse, and here's the risk I wanted to take dads and moms. What's worse is an emasculated male by another male. I was not going to send a boy to school and have him get picked on every day and come home with squashing that identity every day that, that, 
that's that fire inside of every male that wants to slay a dragon. We're born with it, in my view. So I wasn't going to have him going to school that way. So here's how balance works. What do I do, Dad? So here's what we're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to talk to the teachers first. We're going to talk to the administration. We're going to go in private and you're going to tell them, here's what's happening and I need your help. School that went on and wasn't much help. Nothing changed. Teachers are still in the hall with the foot like this. They don't see it. It's too much going on. So next you're going to, he, when, he, when he mouths off, you're going to turn around and walk him right up to him as, you know, within about a foot and in a whisper, ask him to stop. It has to be in a whisper, not loud. And, um, and, then see, and then no matter what he does, you don't do anything. You just ask him to stop, and you turn and walk away. If he doesn't stop, then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to take our hands, we're going to get his collar, and you're going to put your thumbs right up in his throat right there, and you're going to push him against the collar, and you're going to bury those thumbs up in that larynx. And you're going to look at him with a whisper and tell him to stop against the locker. And you're going to have your left leg over your right leg so that you protect a particularly vulnerable area of your body while you're doing this. And uh, he did. Classmates gathered around. and They thought it was a fight, that little bully. What we know about bullies is they really don't want the fight. They just want you to back down. So Blake walked away. He got suspended in school suspension. Administration gets me, and Blake went and told the truth. He said, yeah, and Blake told him the process. I went, this, 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 didn't work. My dad told me to do this. Oh, no, Mr. McJunkin, they come up to school. You can't have your son tell your son. And I said, well, we tried your process, and it wasn't working. I wasn't going to emasculate a young man. I certainly wasn't going to permit it. It was killing, you know, and uh, they understood. He took his in-school suspension. We moved on. Well, that young man went on to, Kathy was up in the school, involved in the school, and the way the dynamic worked, Kathy got to know the man. We, when, when he came home that day, we said, Blake, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to love on Ryan. You're going to say hi to Ryan every day. We're going we're gonna, to see him eye to eye. We're going to make an effort to get to know him. We found out he was a single, raised by a single mom, dad left home, unhappy young man, public school. Kathy got to know him over the years, and that young man began to, as she would substitute teach up in Plano, walk by and say, hi, Miss McJunkin, how you doing? Hi, Mr. McJunkin. And I uh, got to know Blake. Blake grew. Um, he's the one that's, he's a sizable young man now, very large, and got big in high school. And they even had a relationship and never had to surface that. And that deal turned out well. I'm not encouraging you to go home and tell your son to get into a physical fight or anything. But what I'm telling you is that from a balance standpoint, if I don't have that feedback, and I remember boys that went to junior high and got emasculated every day because of somebody else. I just thought Blake would rather have the physical pain of a bloody nose than the emotional pain of this. So for us, balance works in that, again, getting back to that relationship where we can talk and we can have feedback and dialogue to help manage each other in, com in community uh, to see where it is that God wants us to be and how that looks and how to use wisdom to negotiate life for a home like ours. And uh, you can imagine that as time went on, uh, I, you know, I don't know if that young man ever had a relationship with Jenna, but uh, that story is one of our favorites because it tied so many things together for us as it related to this topic. Anything else? What else would you add? Yeah, he and Jenna were friends. He, um, 
it was really a great experience mm-hmm. to get to know Ryan and um, just let him know that we weren't mad at him. We didn't dislike him um, just because he had made some poor choices. So um, that was before Jenna was in junior high. He just had seen her on the weekend. So when she came up to the junior high in sixth grade and he was in eighth grade, and they became friends, and, and he was very kind and, and uh, friendly with her for the remaining years through school. So um, it turned out well. We've, we've just figured out in our home that we, we are not going to be able to execute balance without the feedback coming from somebody else, either somebody above us that can mentor us and help speak wisdom in our life and someone on a horizontal plane that can give us feedback as to who we are. And... Um, so if you if you if you're asked the McJunkins uh, what it is about balance and what it is that that we're after, we're going to tell you that a it's managing the four containers of spiritual health, mental health, emotional health, and physical health, and and for the self, and then part of that being in a communion of growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge with Scripture to earn favor with God and man. So we believe that that horizontal has to be healthy in order to do that, the vertical with the Lord and the horizontal with other people. and Because uh, it's so different, guys. You, you, there's, I have no idea what motivates each of you to be here. Uh, but uh, I do know that those principles have worked for us to be in, again, to be in those communication feedback loops. Anybody have any questions? We've got an outline that, that we can leave if some of you picked it up. And uh, I purposely didn't go through all of it just to to leave it there for you, but um, this is your time to ask. Kathy and I have a lot of, uh, I I didn't give you, but just a capsule of some of the things that were going on from 2001 to 2008 or 9. But uh, as it relates to balance, we had family of origin on both sides, cancer diagnosis, her father, her her brother uh, suddenly and tragically died uh, working in a, in a uh, petroleum plant down in Houston. Um, during these days, we, we had cancer diagnosis, the family business broke up and got into all kinds of mess. We had abusive situations with a parent that had to be addressed, and so a lot of stressors that went along with just the economic stuff. So um, we stand here because we have battle scars from trying to find balance and trying to maintain and do it both through our mistakes and, and maybe perhaps what we may have done that God would give us favor on. So with that, I would say this is a very safe place to ask anything you want, uh, and we'd love to try to take it on and get some dialogue going. There's probably a lot of wisdom in this room, more so than what's standing in front of you. Anybody have any questions? Any expectations that we may not address that we could... Yes, ma'am. Mm. With four kids, how do we manage to protect our marriage? Um, Our marriage is first. It's first from a time standpoint. It's first from an emotional and mental standpoint. That's the best answer I can give it for me. And then, you know who my judge is as to whether that's happening? Yeah. The second is my best friends. And then she has a voice with my best friends. So the how is, the way it works is that if you leave me alone, and then I want Kathy to answer as well. If you leave me alone, um, I'd be really happy if Kathy made dinner every night to come home, have dinner, and have a routine going, and I would neglect 
taking her out, just the two of us. That's a struggle of mine. It's just flat remembering that she needs to be honored and cherished. So, I, you know, remember for performer that that, that in, that's a real big time intangible for me is to realize she needs to be honored and cherished, and she's you know taken me by the collar before and say, I may love you, but I don't like you, and the reason is because you're not cherished and honoring me. And and so she's my judge. If I don't listen to her voice, then she goes to friends close to me that can give it to me in a different voice. Um, so practically, it's about, having, it's about having somebody there that can speak the truth to me. And then secondly, it's about what uh, I have to ask the hard question. And man, this is where I encourage you. Where is my emotional and mental time and energy spent? Is it in front of ESPN or, or some mindless entertainment? Or is it through my own hobby, which affirms me? Or is, it, is, it, uh, is there a reasonable investment, an appropriate investment in Kathy's life with time? Make sense? Why don't you... Yeah, I'll tell you, a practical thing is really holding tightly to a date night. And I know that, you know, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but it doesn't have to mean a lot of money. Um, even if you have to have a babysitter, um, there are times that we would trade off with friends, you know, and keep each other's kids if you can't afford a babysitter. But really protecting a regular date night. Um, for us, it was preferable once a week. It wasn't always once a week, but, um, but it was regular because we did want to and need to protect and nurture our relationship. So that's a practical thing that was, you know, really important. And then time away, um, you know, more than just a night, um, whether it's, you know, down the street or across the country. You know, we didn't take a lot of lavish vacations outside of his parents. But, you know, for the two of us, just to get away for the weekend, you know, every now and then, maybe once a year or twice a year, um, a short little 24 hours or 48 hours just to have some quality time as well as time. If you're married to an achiever, um, I, I, want, I just want to encourage you, don't be a peacemaker. If you're married to an achiever, male or female, just don't be a peacemaker. Don't enable. You've got to find a language to be able to speak to your mate to say, I'm dying over here and I need I need you to spend time with me. I need you to build into me. And we can be intimidated by that and not ever speak it. And, and honestly, I, I, guys, I grew up with coaches. I grew up getting coached every day. Every, we, we, they coached six-inch steps at that level. They coached the subtleties of the position of your thumbs. It was baseball or anything else. It's more so. And so I didn't mind somebody saying, hey, would you take me out on a date? But if Kathy, you know, that, that, so I loved that. So pl- please learn to speak truth to your mate. Yes, ma'am. Are you um, familiar with the single parent ministry here at Watermark? Well, I appreciate your question. And obviously we don't have that experience, but I would just... Right. I would... In- I would encourage you to, um, like Kirk said so many times, is, is really um, 
the friends, look at the friends that you have in your life or, you know, community around you that can partner in some ways that can help balance those loads. And as far as an everyday thing, if you have a child who's small, um, I'd really, um, or I'll just say for us, our experience was when our kids were little, we were really diligent about getting them to bed at a certain time. So then um, we had time in the evening, again, you know, for us or times at time for us to get things um, accomplished either, you know, together or um, taking care of ourselves. Um, I was home during the day, so I had, you know, different experience there, but really protecting that time at night. Um, and it's good for the kids. Um, I know that for some folks it's hard to put the kids to bed at night and they may be up, you know, all hours because you want to be with them. And that sounds good, but it's really not all that good for you. And potentially it may not be all that good for them. Um, they need their rest as well. So I would look at one thing is, you know, protecting that time at night. Yeah, I would encourage you also... Um, I for me, and, and I'm not a single mom, but I had to. Uh, uh, I didn't know myself well, um, which meant figuring out. I, I thought I had demands. Uh, God rearranged my needs uh, going through this period of time, and I really got confused between self-centered self-protection and, and leading the self. And my, those containers would confuse each other because I could say part of leading myself well is I need to do this and this was more self-centered and I would hide one under the other and uh, the, the, what I it got around to eventually was understanding that if the origin of my need was self-protection or any, anything else selfish, then I try to get rid of it because God was really saying, Kirk, you don't get the right because you're in some circumstance to stop serving and serving others. And now I don't know how it applies to a single mom, which means you, you, you do have, in order for you to be a great single mom, you've got you've to be able to, to have other areas of your life that you're leading yourself well in emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And that balance is hard. You know, for me, it was difficult. But the first part of the journey was understanding me and what was in discerning what was selfish and what was necessary. And um, it, it, when I was able to put aside uh, the selfish things, meaning I thought I had to have them in order to do this well, um, and found out that God was really saying, trust me, Kirk, this is really a necessity. This area may not be, and, I'm, and, and I don't want to try to get into detail because I don't want to try to project that I understand a single mom situation. But first, it was knowing myself well. Secondly, weighing that against Scripture and against and, and, and the counsel of other friends as to what was necessary, what did, what was time, how much time did I need alone, time to build in, time to retreat, time to vacation in order to be the best husband I could be. My encouragement there is, what is it that you need in order to be the best single mom you can be? And sometimes it is scaling back work. I had to lay on the line that it may be a different job. It may be a lot of 
from selling house to reducing responsibility because I was so plagued by responsibility. So part of the answer I got from hard guys, from hard people speaking hard truth was maybe rid yourself of responsibility in order to be able to focus here and carve out more margin for your own mental, emotional, and spiritual health so that you can be served physically invest in the lives of somebody else to help it all well I here's what I do think I could look you in the eye and say and by God's grace I hope it, it comes across loving um, I know he made you and gifted you a certain way he's in a situation uh, that you're in a situation that you may not be able to help but he wants you um Manage yourself, build, in, build into the life of that child. And uh, it may be that we have to trust him for a new job or something else so that for a period of time you can do what you need to do well and take care of yourself, maybe over and above career. I can speak from experience of looking at that, and I did have to carve out things. Um, I mean, I, I, I was sneaking up on you know, eight-figure wealth before all that happened down to a bank account that's nothing but, you know, less than about six months of savings in the bank. And I don't say that for any other reason other than that whole journey of watching that flow out was letting go and then saying, God, in spite of all the problems that came with that, now I get to, now I, I may have to sell a house and sell to do other things and, in, in order to keep this first. Because I know what God wanted me in the home as a dad or as a, as a husband and a dad. And then thirdly was others in career. Um, and I, man, I don't want to, you know, for single mom, I don't want to pretend. Because that's got to be scary to say, Lord, this is all I can see on the horizon for me to meet the needs of myself and this child. So I don't pretend that that's not a tough deal. But I think I would say pray about you know, an opportunity that say for a season of life, could I not neglect my own personal health or spiritual health and perhaps risk, you know, the, the influence God wants you to have with a child over a job? Is that loving? Good. She's suing to get custody of your kids away from you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. And, uh, Yes, do I struggle with, um, does God know what he's doing with the kids and the pressure? Um, yes, there, there is one of my kids particularly that the personalities, we, we really struggle. And I'm asking myself all the time, Lord, what, what do I do here? What, what are you doing and, and why? At the end of the day, for me, God reminds me, because my, my nature would be to want to control instead of lead and is to back off and say, you know, that child is mine. And, and I'm writing a story that you may not understand right now. And your perspective is you may see the brush strokes of this painting here that's incomplete, but I know the portrait. I know the picture. It, it, and it gets back to me for sovereign God, you know, God's sovereign will for each of our lives. And, and I have to live with the reality that maybe... You know, I have loosened my grip a little bit on one of mine. Now, this is just me talking about trusting God and His sovereignty for what He's doing in one of the lives of, 
of kids and, and say, it may not be the way I would do it, but it's the way God's going to do it. It's His work to do, not mine. Kirk, you be faithful to provide the soil, the environment, love them in such a way that you've positioned to do everything you can. Train them up in the way they go. This is their gift. This is their skills. Encourage and love that child in this direction and then let me do the work. And I have to be ready to say, could that child rebel for a period of years of life and then come back? The rebellion would break my heart for a period of time. But if 15 years from now the child comes back and then you live the rest of your life with a child that's gone out and come back, um, would that be to God's glory? Absolutely. I wouldn't want the rebellion in the process. And so when I get to thinking about results and I start parenting towards a result, that's where my flesh gets in the way perhaps of what God's doing. So I'm trying to fall back with this particular one and, and keep short accounts of the rough conversations, the rough decisions, and, 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 and try to be faithful with what I can do in the management of that relationship, keeping it safe, keeping the dialogue going, trying to, to minister to that heart, and then I've got to let go to some point. So I don't know if that helps in the practical how, but what's helping me emotionally from a boundary standpoint or a, a, a um, balance is that I make it worse when I take on the anxiety and the worry. And then I parent out of worry, which if everybody knows in here, that leads to parenting out of another word that's called fear. And fear-based parenting gets into control. And a kid, you know, or a lot of times, you know, for me, I, I, I'm going to sound too much like an authority, but I think fear-based gets into control. Control is going to be like, like a good horse that's going to just keep wanting to jerk the bit. And uh, so, I'm, you know, my deal is I, I'm trying to, I, I do not want, you know, this one child to jerk the bit. And so it's a delicate balance for me. Don't you, you forget the question after my long answer? Um, wondering where God is in some of those crazy days. Yeah. Um, I just think that can't overemphasize enough my own personal relationship with the Lord. If I'm not filled up with Him, not Him, and sometimes there's not a Him in your case, but. God says that he's a father to the fatherless and he is going to um, hold you with his righteous right hand. He says, don't be afraid. Um, Isaiah 40, 1-10. Um, so as I humble myself and discipline myself to spend time with my creator, my savior, um, and I'm open with him, I'm authentic with him, Lord, I don't even know where you are right now. Are you here? Are, you know, what are you doing? He can handle that. Um, we can say anything. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts anyway. So being open with the Lord and crying out to the Lord, you know, I don't even know if you exist. Show me. I need something. And, you know, God is so good to give us even just a drop of encouragement at the right time. And I think as we cry out to him, he really he really does make himself known and, and shows us that um, and you know, there might be quiet 
periods where we, you know, even David, you know, the, the author of the Psalms cried out and was like, why are you absent? Where are you? You know, and he wasn't afraid to put that in his book. So um, I think that we can, we've got to nurture that relationship first and foremost. I'm going to be of no good to my kids if I'm not first filled up with, yeah. you know, my relation, my spiritual relationship. Did it help at all? Do you have a follow-up? Did we miss anything? Yeah. For us that are performers, that's a big time. We, we can move over into fear-based parenting, and, and chances are you may have been raised under it, and if you were, you know what it feels like. Yeah. I don't think it's productive from my view. Anybody else? Balanced stuff? Yes, sir. To what extent have y'all relied on bearing burdens like that? Wow. question is about the role of community and, and then how and, and what we've experienced in community to help us. Um, it's as critical to our lives as oil is to an engine. I, I'm telling you that we would be a mess. I would be a mess without other people More speaking in my life. I, I, I bet you I'd be divorced. I bet you I would have a uh, um, uh, perhaps a, uh, a, a chemical dependency or something to self-medicate my own pain. Um, my kids would see themselves as second or third place to a dad who has a, an insatiable appetite for affirmation. So... How is community spoken? Well, they've sat around the table and said, um, they, they've pointed out all the ways that I have been damaging to them and to others. Kathy has said, spoken the truth in such a way to say, when, when someone says, you know, I love you because I have to and I don't like you, um, it gets it gets your attention, and that's not who I wanted to be as a leader and, and as a man as a follower of Christ. Um, I, Kirk had if I didn't have other people to tell me that that my desire to be affirmed and be respected w w was first to everything else, I was making a mess of things, and those people would could speak that truth. And, and bro, it, it curves even. In a restaurant, once I wised off to a uh, waitress, and uh, I like to flirt with waitresses from time to time, and um, kind of have fun with them, and I can't remember what the comment was. Appropriate but it, flirting. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, right after it happened, a guy looked across the table at me and said, man, that was really disrespectful. So what I got to do? When that waitress comes back, hey, hey, I said something a minute ago that was pretty smart aleck and sarcastic. Would you forgive me? That's the way that loop works, just like that. So when you say what role do they have, uh, I, I don't think we would know what forgiveness was between us and keeping short accounts if we didn't have community. I, I cannot tell you where we would be. It would be an absolute disaster. 
And my kids are also part of that community because they have the right. If I didn't say it earlier, I want to say it again. They have been told, each four, all four of them, that if ever you needed to be safe, you raise your hand and say, Dad, I need to say something to you and completely safe. That's the signal that says dead men talk. And then they say what they need to say. I'd be a mess. What would you say? Would yeah, I be a mess? Yeah, you'd be a mess. You'd be more of a mess. No. Um, and it goes both ways. I've gotten it too. He's been hard on himself, or been talking a lot about his struggles, but um, I've had gals, and we've been both real involved in CR, and I've been involved in shelter from the storm. And so I've had women as well, you know, telling me how I can better respect him, how I can better. Um, complete him, how I can better love him. So it goes both ways. And yeah, I would just say that it's critical. And it, and especially, I mean, for us, yeah, but especially for you single parents where you don't have kind of a beginning of community with, with the balance of two. Um, and community is just lifeblood. Yeah, and community guys, we talk about our marriage, number one, Parenting and all the issues that go with it, all the way down to texting, money. We talk about each other's debt ratios. We talk about each other's, you know, if, if a friend of mine's about to go buy a house and thinks, well, what are you doing that for? What, how much cash can you have in the bank if you go buy that? Four months in an economy like this? Are you kidding me? I mean, so, so the, the, the conversations invade all, all areas. If I see a friend of mine disrespecting his wife, I'll say, hey, man, you know, I, I think you just—I think you mashed—I think I think you mashed your spirit a little bit. And uh, and you know what? That can be over a golf game. That can be anywhere. It'd be at any time. But it, it occurs in life. I mean, we just live in life together. So, man, I could labor that this discussion forever. Anybody else? Day. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Well, we we did allow a couple to play two at one time, and may have been a mistake, may not have been. But our boundary at the, for those two was one of them is primary, one of them is secondary, and we put we, we looked at the schedules of both, and and we kind of worked through the time management thing of it, and then we went through a principled view of where along the way what could violate our family and lay that, lay that time out ahead and then we talked to coaches and others and we even moved off teams to align ourselves with a common philosophy about the game. Um, I, I used to find it fascinating that um, uh, I played at a high level, the guy I coached with played at a high level and we probably had by far the most relaxed culture of any of the teams we competed against and did very well, and we didn't. We, we had very short, intense, and uh, workouts. We knew what to do, how to do it, incorporate and build it in so that it was, you know, a balance in the kids' life. But we moved teams even to align philosophies with the family values, and then we migrated even other players and families on and off based on those values. So it's some it's some hard work. And I know there may be some gymnast parents in here where you have a different deal and may not have the options, but on the team side of baseball, basketball, football, soccer, even club soccer, I, my belief was a really bright, a really gifted, gifted soccer player can still develop 
playing soccer on a team that goes that goes seven and fifteen. Most of the time, seven and fifteen is a problem with the parents. Sometimes the kid, but we, it was more important for me to find a team that my child and the, the culture around them was healthy, and the win loss was not. I mean, in, in other words, healthy. The win loss record was not what dictated where we went. It was a philosophy and a principled approach to the game and how it fit in someone's life. I ran from a guy if they were great coaches, but it's supposed to be the the greatest priority and no family vacations. And mom and dad, if you're on this team, this is the way it'll be. Come on, we'll see you. We didn't do it. And I coached some teams, so we got to. I, I did have a little bit of management over that attitude, but there were a lot of teams we went on that were not. So I never did more than two. Always had one primary, one secondary. Laid out the schedule against the family schedule. And as other kids came along, we backed off. And we even went to coaches and said, look, my child's going to be able to play in six games, not all ten. Are you okay with that? And if we were and he weren't going to be penalized, then great. Or if he'd say, yeah, but here's the way your son's role will be, then I'd go back talk to the son. Yeah, you can play there, but you're going to get half the innings that you normally would if you didn't go to all of them. And so... I brought them into the decision as well. And does, it, does that help at all? So establish your priorities with your husband and then establish what's healthy for the child. And then along the way, manage and look and watch the, 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 how, how bright that flame's burning for the kid to play the child. Because I would not let mine do as much as they want, one of them. I didn't want him to burn out. It just didn't. And I would tell him all the time, you're gifted, son. Let God just continue to work you. And, you know, bless his heart today, you know, hopefully in three weeks we'll watch him on his first Sunday afternoon uh, game this year. So uh, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping we made some good decisions there and gave him a balanced perspective on life. Because sports, let me tell you what (laughs) college coach said, can't help it. He once looked at all of us and he said, and even at the professional level, he said, sports is a job, it's not a career. He looked at all of us and said, it's going to end for all of you. It's over. It's going to be over. Some may be this year, some in two weeks. It may be ten years. You may have ten-year career, whatever, but it's going to be over. And the issue is, when is it over for some? Some it's junior high, high school, college, professional, whatever it may be. So we, I, I, I tell that to mine all the time. That it's not going to be your identity. It's not going to be you know, where you find your self-worth. It's going to be something you do for God, for you to learn how to trust God through it. So we may even trust God through not playing on this team or not playing as much as everybody else. If you're really gifted and I think you're in that and I think you've got the upper echelon, then we're gonna dad's gonna help route you to where you can be so that that gift becomes what it needs to. Does that make sense? I love this topic by the way, so I'll get off of it. But I would just add a footnote to that. There have been times, seasons in our life where our kids were all involved, even just school activities until, you know, late in the afternoon and there was a time when we may all sit down and have a family breakfast you know it it doesn't have to be because we weren't all there at dinner time you know people's schedules were just so crazy Um, we may try and carve out that time because they went to school a little bit later than they used to or anyway we had time in the morning so we'd get up and all have breakfast together or we'd all find ourselves all six of us piling in the car at 10 o'clock at night and going to Sonic, you know, for a Coke date. And, you know, making that time. Dinner is critical, but if you just can't, you know, I mean, there's just times when 
They're in band. They're in you know football. They're in cheerleading till seven o'clock at night. Whatever. Then you know, be creative. You know, I'll circle up at ten o'clock and spend thirty minutes. This, this will know, sound weird, but activities in our home were a reason to spend time together first, and then cultivate gifts second. If I had to give you a principle. So we played sports, and I get in the car. Hey, man, how you feel? How you doing? How was it? It was never about you should have done this, you should have done that. It was a platform to spend time. And that's coming from somebody that, that found, I mean, that's how God brought me to himself and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior was after surgery and being in a hospital bed and just shaking with fear that it would be over. And uh, it got to the point where God could take me to a place to say, man, there's no life there. There's no life there. It's a tool for me to glorify myself. In other words, for God to glorify himself through somebody's display of talent, and it's his, not mine. So our attitude was singing, pick it. Pick pick your activity. It was a chance to spend time with our child, and never at the expense of the family. 